Section 21 of the Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 6. Selected excerpts from the Religio Medici by Sir Thomas Brown. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. I could never divide myself from any man upon the difference of an opinion or be angry with his judgment for not agreeing with me in that from which, within a few days, I should dissent myself. I have no genius to disputes in religion, and have often thought it wisdom to decline them, especially upon a disadvantage, or when the cause of truth might suffer in the weakness of my patronage. When we desire to be informed, tis good to contest with men above ourselves, but to confirm and establish our opinions, it is best to argue with judgments below our own, that the frequent spoils and victories over their reasons may settle in ourselves an esteem and confirmed opinion of our own. Every man is not a proper champion for truth, nor fit to take up the gauntlet in the cause of verity many from the ignorance of these maxims and an inconsiderate zeal for truth have too rashly charged the troops of error and remain as trophies unto the enemies of truth a man may be in as just possession of truth as of a city and yet be forced to surrender it is therefore far better to enjoy her with peace than to hazard her on a battle if therefore there rise any doubts in my way, I do forget them, or at least defer them till my better settled judgment and more manly reason be able to resolve them, for I perceive every man's own reason is his best Oedipus, and will, upon a reasonable truce, find a way to loose those bonds wherewith the subtleties of error have enchained our more flexible and tender judgments. In philosophy, where truth seems double-faced, there is no man more paradoxical than myself, but in divinity I love to keep the road, and though not in an implicit yet an humble faith, follow the great wheel of the church by which I move, not reserving any proper poles or motion from the epicycle of my own brain. By these means I leave no gap for heresies, schisms, or errors, as for those wingy mysteries in divinity and airy subtleties in religion which have unhinged the brains of better heads, they never stretched the pia mater of mine. Methinks there be not impossibilities enough in religion for an act of faith. The deepest mysteries ours contains have not only been illustrated but maintained by syllogism and the rule of reason. I love to lose myself in a mystery, to pursue my reason to an o altitudo. Tis my solitary recreation to pose my apprehension with those involved enigmas and riddles of the Trinity, with incarnation and resurrection. I can answer all the objections of Satan and my rebellious reason with that odd resolution I learned of Tertullian. Tertum est quia impossibile est i desire to exercise my faith in the difficultest point 
for to credit ordinary and visible objects is not faith but persuasion some believe the better for seeing christ's sepulchre and when they have seen the red sea doubt not of the miracle now contrarily i bless myself and am thankful that i live not in the days of miracles that i never saw christ nor his disciples i would not have been one of those israelites that passed the red sea nor one of christ's patients on whom he wrought his wonders then had my faith been thrust upon me nor should i enjoy that greater blessing pronounced to all that believe and saw not tis an easy and necessary belief to credit what our eye and sense hath examined i believe he was dead and buried and rose again and desire to see him in his glory rather than to contemplate him in his cenotaph or sepulchre nor is this much to believe as we have reason we owe this faith unto history they only had the advantage of a bold and noble faith who lived before his coming who upon obscure prophecies and mystical types could raise a belief and expect apparent impossibilities in my solitary and retired imagination neque num cum lectulus aut me porticus excepit desum mihi i remember i am not alone and therefore forget not to contemplate him and his attributes who was ever with me especially those two mighty ones his wisdom and eternity with the one i recreate with the other i confound my understanding for who can speak of eternity without a solecism or think thereof without an ecstasy time we may comprehend it is but five days older than ourselves and hath the same horoscope with the world but to retire so far back as to apprehend a beginning to give such an infinite start forward as to conceive an end in an essence that we affirm hath neither the one nor the other it puts my reason to st paul's sanctuary my philosophy dares not say the angels can do it god hath not made a creature that can comprehend him it is a privilege of his own nature i am that i am was his own definition unto moses and it was a short one to confound mortality that durst question god or ask him what he was indeed he only is all others have and shall be but in eternity there is no distinction of tenses and therefore that terrible term predestination which hath troubled so many weak heads to conceive and the wisest to explain is in respect to god no precious determination of our states to come but a definitive blast of his will already fulfilled and at the instant that he first decreed it for to his eternity which is indivisible and altogether the last trump is already sounded the reprobates in the flame and the blessed in abraham's bosom 
St. Peter speaks modestly when he saith, A thousand years to God are but as one day. For to speak like a philosopher, those continued instances of time which flow into a thousand years make not to him one moment. What to us is to come, to his eternity is present, his whole duration being but one permanent point, without succession, parts, flux, or division. The world was made to be inhabited by beasts, but studied and contemplated by man. Tis the debt of our reason we owe unto God, and the homage we pay for not being beasts. Without this, the world is still as though it had not been, or as it was before the sixth day, when as yet there was not a creature that could conceive or say there was a world. The wisdom of God receives small honour from those vulgar heads that rudely stare about and with gross rusticity admire his works, those highly magnify him whose judicious inquiry into his acts and deliberate research into his creatures return the duty of a devout and learned admiration. Natura nihil aget frustra, nature does nothing in vain, is the only indisputable axiom in philosophy. There are no grotesques in nature nor anything framed to fill up empty cantons and unnecessary spaces. In the most imperfect creatures, and such as were not preserved in the ark, but having their seeds and principles in the womb of nature, are everywhere where the power of the sun is, in these is the wisdom of his hand discovered. Out of this rank Solomon chose the object of his admiration, Indeed, what reason may not go to school to the wisdom of bees, ants, and spiders? What wise hand teacheth them to do what reason cannot teach us? Ruder heads stand amazed at those prodigious pieces of nature, whales, elephants, dromedaries, and camels. These, I confess, are the colossi and majestic pieces of her hand, but in these narrow engines there is more curious mathematics, and the civility of these little citizens more nearly sets forth the wisdom of their maker. Who admires not Regiomontanus his fly beyond his eagle, or wonders not more at the operation of two souls in those little bodies than but one in the trunk of a cedar? I could never content my contemplation with those general pieces of wonder, the flux and reflux of the sea, the increase of the Nile, the conversion of the needle to the north, and have studied to match and parallel those in the more obvious and neglected pieces of nature which, without further travel, I can do in the cosmography of myself. We carry with us the wonders we seek without us, there is all Africa and her prodigies in us. We are that bold and adventurous piece of nature which he that studies wisely learns in a compendium, what others labour at in a divided piece and endless volume. 
Thus there are two books from whence I collect my divinity, besides that written one of God, another of his servant, Nature, that universal and public manuscript that lies expansed unto the eyes of all. Those that never saw him in the one have discovered him in the other. This was the scripture and theology of the heathens. The natural motion of the sun made them more admire him than its supernatural station did the children of Israel. The ordinary effect of nature wrought more admiration in them than in the other, all his miracles. Surely the heathens knew better how to join and read these mystical letters than we Christians, who cast a more careless eye on these common hieroglyphics and disdain to suck divinity from the flowers of nature. Nor do I so forget God as to adore the name of nature, which I define not with the schools to be the principle of motion and rest, but that straight and regular line, that settled and constant course, the wisdom of God hath ordained the actions of his creatures according to their several kinds. To make a revolution every day is the nature of the sun, because of that necessary course which God hath ordained it, from which it cannot swerve but by a faculty from that voice which first did give it motion. Now this course of nature God seldom alters or perverts, but, like an excellent artist, hath so contrived his work that, with the self-same instrument, without a new creation, he may effect his obscurest designs. Thus he sweeteneth the water with a wood, preserveth the creatures in the ark, which the blast of his mouth might as easily have created. For God is like a skilful geometrician, who, when more easily and with one stroke of his compass, he might describe or divide a right line, had yet rather do this in a circle a longer way, according to the constituted and forelaid principles of his art. Yet this rule of his he doth sometimes pervert to acquaint the world with his prerogative, lest the arrogancy of our reason should question his power and conclude he could not. And thus I call the effects of nature the works of God whose hand and instrument she only is, and therefore to ascribe his actions unto her is to devolve the honour of the principal agent upon the instrument, which, if with reason we may do, then let our hammers rise up and boast they have built our houses, and our pens receive the honour of our writing. I hold there is a general beauty in the works of God, and therefore no deformity in any kind of species whatever. I cannot tell by what logic we call a toad, a bear, or an elephant ugly, they being created in those outward shapes and figures which best express those actions of their inward forms. And having passed that general visitation of God who saw that all that he had made was good, that is conformable to his will, which abhors deformity, and is the rule of order and beauty, 
there is no deformity but in monstrosity wherein notwithstanding there is a kind of beauty nature so ingeniously contriving the irregular parts that they become sometimes more remarkable than the principal fabric to speak yet more narrowly there was never anything ugly or misshapen but the chaos wherein notwithstanding to speak strictly there was no deformity because no form nor was it yet impregnated by the voice of god now nature is not at variance with art nor art with nature they being both servants of his providence art is the perfection of nature were the world now as it was on the sixth day there were yet a chaos nature hath made one world and art another in brief all things are artificial for nature is the art of god i have heard some with deep sighs lament the lost lines of cicero others with as many groans deplore the combustion of the library of alexandria for my own part i think there be too many in the world and could with patience behold the urn and ashes of the vatican could i with a few others recover the perished leaves of solomon i would not omit a copy of enoch's pillars had they many nearer authors than josephus or did not relish somewhat of the fable some men have written more than others have spoken Pinedo quotes more authors in one work than are necessary in the whole world of those three great inventions in germany there are two which are not without their incommodities it is not a melancholy utinam of my own but the desires of better heads that there were a general synod not to unite the incompatible difference of religion but for the benefit of learning to reduce it as it lay at first in a few and solid authors and to condemn to the fire those swarms and millions of rhapsodies begotten only to distract and abuse the weaker judgments of scholars and to maintain the trade and mystery of typographers again i believe that all that use sorceries incantations and spells are not witches or as we term them magicians i conceive there is a traditional magic not learned immediately from the devil but at second hand from his scholars who having once the secret betrayed are able and do empirically practice without his advice they both proceeding from the principles of nature where actives aptly conjoined to disposed passives will under any master produce their effects thus i think at first a great part of philosophy was witchcraft which being afterward derived to one another proved but philosophy and was indeed no more but the honest effects of nature what invented by us is philosophy learned from him is magic we do surely owe the discovery of many secrets to the discovery of good and bad angels i could never pass that sentence of paracelsus without an asterisk or annotation 
ascendens astro multa revelat quarentibus magnalia naturae id est opera dei i do think that many mysteries ascribed to our own inventions have been the courteous revelations of spirits for those noble essences in heaven bear a friendly regard unto their fellow natures on earth and therefore believe that those many prodigies and ominous prognostics which forerun the ruins of states, princes, and private persons, are the charitable premonitions of good angels, which more careless inquiries term but the effects of chance and nature. Now, besides these particular and divided spirits, there may be, for aught I know, an universal and common spirit to the whole world it was the opinion of plato and it is yet of the hermetical philosophers if there be a common nature that unites and ties the scattered and divided individuals into one species why may there not be one that unites them all however i am sure there is a common spirit that plays within us yet makes no part of us and that is the spirit of god the fire and scintillation of that noble and mighty essence which is the life and radical heat of spirits and those essences that know not the virtue of the sun a fire quite contrary to the fire of hell this is that gentle heat that brooded on the waters and in six days hatched the world this is that irradiation that dispels the mists of hell the clouds of horror fear sorrow and despair and preserves the region of the mind in serenity whosoever feels not the warm gale and gentle ventilation of this spirit though i feel his pulse i dare not say he lives for truly without this to me there is no heat under the tropic nor any light though i dwelt in the body of the sun I believe that the whole frame of a beast doth perish and is left in the same state after death as before it was materialed unto life that the souls of men know neither contrary nor corruption that they subsist beyond the body and outlive death by the privilege of their proper natures and without a miracle that the souls of the faithful as they leave earth take possession of heaven that those apparitions and ghosts of departed persons are not the wandering souls of men but the unquiet walks of devils prompting and suggesting us into mischief blood and villainy instilling and stealing into our hearts that the blessed spirits are not at rest in their graves but wander solicitous of the affairs of the world but that those phantasms appear often and do frequent cemeteries charnel houses and churches it is because those are the dormitories of the dead where the devil like an insolent champion beholds with pride the spoils and trophies of his victory in adam this is that dismal conquest we all deplore that makes us so often cry Adam quid fecisti. 
i thank god i have not those straight ligaments or narrow obligations to the world as to dote on life or be convulsed and tremble at the name of death not that i am insensible of the dread and horror thereof or by raking into the bowels of the deceased continual sight of anatomies skeletons or cadaverous relics like the spillows or grave-makers i am become stupid or have forgot the apprehension of mortality but that marshalling all the horrors and contemplating the extremities thereof i find not anything therein able to daunt the courage of a man much less a well-resolved christian and therefore am not angry at the error of our first parents or unwilling to bear a part of this common fate and like the best of them to die that is to cease to breathe to take a farewell of the elements to be a kind of nothing for a moment to be within one instant of a spirit when i take a full view and circle of myself without this reasonable moderator and equal piece of justice death i do conceive myself the miserablest person extant were there not another life that i hope for all the vanities of this world should not entreat a moment's breath from me could the devil work my belief to imagine i could never die i would not outlive that very thought i have so abject a conceit of this common way of existence this retaining to the sun and elements i cannot think this to be a man or to live according to the dignity of humanity in expectation of a better i can with patience embrace this life yet in my best meditations do often defy death i honour any man that contemns it nor can i highly love any that is afraid of it this makes me naturally love a soldier and honour those tattered and contemptible regiments that will die at the command of a sergeant for a pagan there may be some motives to be in love with the life but for a christian to be amazed at death i see not how he can escape this dilemma that he is too sensible of this life or hopeless of the life to come i am naturally bashful nor hath conversation age or travel been able to affront or enharden me yet i have one part of modesty which i have seldom discovered in another that is to speak truly i am not so much afraid of death as ashamed thereof tis the very disgrace and ignominy of our natures that in a moment can so disfigure us that our nearest friends wife and children stand afraid and start at us the birds and beasts of the field that before in a natural fear obeyed us forgetting all allegiance begin to prey upon us this very conceit hath in a tempest disposed and left me willing to be swallowed up in the abyss of waters wherein i had perished unseen unpitied without wandering eyes tears of pity lectures of mortality and none had said quantum mutatus ab illo 
not that i am ashamed of the anatomy of my parts or can accuse nature for playing the bungler in any part of me or my own vicious life for contracting any shameful disease upon me whereby i might not call myself as wholesome a morsel for the worms as any men commonly set forth the torments of hell by fire and the extremity of corporal afflictions and describe hell in the same method that mahomet doth heaven this indeed makes a noise and drums in popular ears but if this be the terrible piece thereof it is not worthy to stand in diameter with heaven whose happiness consists in that part that is best able to comprehend it that immortal essence that translated divinity and colony of god the soul surely though we place hell under earth the devil's walk and purlieu is about it men speak too popularly who place it in those flaming mountains which to grosser apprehensions represent hell the heart of man is the place where the devil dwells in i feel sometimes a hell within myself lucifer keeps his court in my breast legion is revived in me there are as many hells as anaxarchus conceited worlds there was more than one hell in magdalen when there were seven devils for every devil is a hell unto himself he holds enough of torture in his own ubi and needs not the misery of circumference to afflict him and thus a distracted conscience here is a shadow or introduction unto hell hereafter who can but pity the merciful intention of those hands that do destroy themselves the devil were it in his power would do the like which being impossible his miseries are endless and he suffers most in that attribute wherein he is impassable his immortality i thank god and with joy i mention it i was never afraid of hell nor ever grew pale at the description of that place i have so fixed my contemplations on heaven that i have almost forgot the idea of hell and am afraid rather to lose the joys of the one than endure the misery of the other to be deprived of them is a perfect hell and needs methinks no addition to complete our afflictions that terrible term hath never detained me from sin nor do i owe any good action to the name thereof i fear god yet am not afraid of him his mercies make me ashamed of my sins before his judgments afraid thereof these are the forced and secondary method of his wisdom which he useth but as the last remedy and upon provocation a course rather to deter the wicked than incite the virtuous to his worship i can hardly think there was ever any scared into heaven they go the fairest way to heaven that would serve god without a hell other mercenaries that crouch unto him in fear of hell though they term themselves the servants are indeed but the slaves of the almighty 
that which is the cause of my election i hold to be the cause of my salvation which was the mercy and beneplacit of god before i was or the foundation of the world before abraham was i am is the saying of christ yet it is true in some sense if i say it of myself for i was not only before myself but adam that is in the idea of god and the decree of that synod held from all eternity and in this sense i say the world was before the creation and at an end before it had a beginning and thus i was dead before i was alive though my grave be england my dying place was paradise and eve miscarried of me before she conceived of cain now for that other virtue of charity without which faith is a mere notion and of no existence i have ever endeavoured to nourish the merciful disposition and humane inclination i borrowed from my parents and regulate it to the written and prescribed laws of charity and if i hold the true anatomy of myself i am delineated and naturally framed to such a piece of virtue for i am of a constitution so general that it consorts and sympathizeth with all things i have no antipathy or rather idiosyncrasy in diet humour air anything i wonder not at the french for their dishes of frogs snails and toadstools nor at the jews for locusts and grasshoppers but being amongst them make them my common viands and i find they agree with my stomach as well as theirs i could digest the salad gathered in a churchyard as well as in a garden i cannot start at the presence of a serpent scorpion lizard or salamander at the sight of a toad or viper i find in me no desire to take up a stone to destroy them i feel not in myself those common antipathies that i can discover in others those national repugnances do not touch me nor do i behold with prejudice the french italian spaniard or dutch but where i find their actions in balance with my countrymen's i honour love and embrace them in the same degree i was born in the eighth climate but seem for to be framed and constellated unto all i am no plant that will not prosper out of a garden all places all airs make unto me one country i am in england everywhere and under any meridian i have been shipwrecked yet am not an enemy with the sea or winds i can study play or sleep in a tempest in brief i am averse from nothing my conscience would give me the lie if i should absolutely detest or hate any essence but the devil or so at least abhor anything but that we might come to composition if there be any among those common objects of hatred i do contemn and laugh at it is that great enemy of reason virtue and religion the multitude that numerous piece of monstrosity which taken asunder seem men and the reasonable creatures of god but confused together make but one great beast and a monstrosity more prodigious than hydra 
no breach of charity to call these fools. It is a style all holy writers have afforded them, set down by Solomon in canonical scripture, and a point of our faith to believe so. Neither in the name of multitude do I only include the base and minor sort of people. There is a rabble even amongst the gentry, a sort of plebeian heads, whose fancy moves with the same wheel as these, men in the same level with mechanics, though their fortunes do somewhat gild their infirmities, and their purses compound for their follies. I must give no alms to satisfy the hunger of my brother, but to fulfil and accomplish the will and command of my God. I draw not my purse for his sake that demands it, but his that enjoined it. I believe no man upon the rhetoric of his miseries, nor to content mine own commiserating disposition, for this is still but moral charity, and an act that oweth more to passion than reason. He that relieves another upon the bare suggestion and bowels of pity doth not do this so much for his sake as for his own. For by compassion we make others' misery our own, and so by relieving them we relieve ourselves also. It is as erroneous a conceit to redress other men's misfortunes upon the common considerations of merciful natures, that it may be one day our own case, for this is a sinister and politic kind of charity where we seem to bespeak the pities of men in the like occasions. And truly, I have observed that those professed animosinaries, though in a crowd or multitude, do yet direct and place their petitions on a few and selected persons. There is surely a physiognomy which those experienced and master mendicants observe, whereby they instantly discover a merciful aspect, and will single out a face wherein they spy the signatures and marks of mercy. For there are mystically in our faces certain characters which carry in them the motto of our souls, wherein he that cannot read ABC may read our natures. I hold, moreover, that there is a phytonomy or physiognomy, not only of men, but of plants and vegetables, and in every one of them some outward figures which hang as signs or bushes of their inward forms. The finger of God hath left an inscription upon all his works, not graphical or composed of letters, but of their several forms, constitutions, parts, and operations, which, aptly joined together, do make one word that doth express their natures. By these letters God calls the stars by their names, and by this alphabet Adam assigned to every creature a name peculiar to its nature. Now there are, besides these characters in our faces, certain mystical figures in our hands, which I dare not call mere dashes, strokes a la volée, or at random, because delineated by a pencil that never works in vain. And hereof I take more particular notice, because I carried that in mine own hand, which I could never read or discover in another. Aristotle, I confess, in his acute and singular book of physiognomy, hath made no mention of chiromancy, 
yet i believe the egyptians who were nearer addicted to those abstruse and mystical sciences had a knowledge therein to which those vagabond and counterfeit egyptians did after pretend and perhaps retained a few corrupted principles which sometimes might verify their prognostics it is a common wonder of all men how among so many millions of faces there shall be none alike now contrary i wonder as much how there shall be any he that shall consider how many thousand several words have been carelessly and without study composed out of twenty-four letters with all how many hundred lines there are to be drawn in the fabric of one man shall easily find that this variety is necessary and it will be very hard that they shall so concur as to make one portrait like another let a painter carelessly limb out a million of faces and shall find them all different they let him have his copy before him yet after all his art there will remain a sensible distinction for the pattern or example of everything is the perfectest in that kind whereof we still come short though we transcend or go beyond it because herein it is wide and agrees not in all points unto its copy nor doth the similitude of creatures disparage the variety of nature nor any way confound the works of god for even in things alike there is diversity and those that do seem to accord do manifestly disagree and thus is man like god for in the same things that we resemble him we are utterly different from him there was never anything so like another as in all points to concur there will ever some reserved difference slip in to prevent the identity without which two several things would not be alike but the same which is impossible naturally amorous of all that is beautiful i can look a whole day with delight upon a handsome picture though it be but of an horse it is my temper and i like it the better to affect all harmony and sure there is music even in the beauty and the silent note which cupid strikes far sweeter than the sound of an instrument but there is music wherever there is harmony order or proportion and thus far we may maintain the music of the spheres for those well-ordered motions and regular paces though they give no sound unto the ear yet to the understanding they strike a note most full of harmony whatever is harmonically composed delights in harmony which makes me much distrust the symmetry of those heads which declaim against all church music for myself not only from my obedience but my particular genius i do embrace it for even that vulgar and tavern music which makes one man merry and another mad strikes in me a deep fit of devotion and a profound contemplation of the first composer there is something in it of divinity more than the ear discovers it is an hieroglyphical and shadowed lesson of the whole world and creatures of god such a melody to the ear as the whole world well understood would afford the understanding in brief 
it is a sensible fit of that harmony which intellectually sounds in the ears of god it unties the ligaments of my frame takes me to pieces dilates me out of myself and by degrees methinks resolves me into heaven i will not say with plato the soul is an harmony but harmonical and hath its nearest sympathy unto music thus some whose temper of body agrees and humours the constitution of their souls are born poets though indeed all are naturally inclined unto rhythm there is surely a nearer apprehension of anything that delights us in our dreams than in our waked senses without this i were unhappy for my awaked judgment discontents me ever whispering unto me that i am from my friend but my friendly dreams in the night requite me and make me think i am within his arms i thank god for my happy dreams as i do for my good rest but there is a satisfaction in them unto reasonable desires and such as can be content with a fit of happiness and surely it is not a melancholy conceit to think that we are all asleep in this world and that the conceits of this life are as mere dreams to those of the next as the phantasms of the night to the conceits of the day there is an equal delusion in both and the one doth but seem to be the emblem or picture of the other we are somewhat more than ourselves in our sleeps and the slumber of the body seems to be but the waking of the soul it is the legation of sense but the liberty of reason and our waking conceptions do not match the fancies of our sleeps at my nativity my ascendant was the watery sign of scorpius i was born in the planetary hour of saturn and i think i have a piece of that leaden planet in me i am in no way facetious nor disposed of the mirth and galliard eyes of company yet in one dream i can compose a whole comedy behold the action and apprehend the jests and laugh myself awake at the conceits thereof were my memory as faithful as my reason is then fruitful i would never study but in my dreams and this time also i would choose for my devotions but our grosser memories have then so little hold of our abstracted understandings that they forget the story and can only relate to our waked souls a confused and broken tale of that that hath passed aristotle who hath written a singular tract of sleep hath not methinks thoroughly defined it nor yet galen though he seemed to have corrected it for those noctambulos and night-walkers though in their sleep do yet enjoy the action of their senses we must therefore say that there is something in us that is not in the jurisdiction of morpheus and that those abstracted and ecstatic souls do walk about in their own corpse as spirits with the bodies they assume wherein they seem to hear see and feel though indeed the organs are destitute of sense and their natures of those faculties that should inform them thus it is observed that men sometimes upon the hour of their departure 
to speak and reason above themselves for then the soul beginning to be freed from the ligaments of the body begins to reason like herself and to discourse in a strain above mortality end of section twenty one